Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Well, praise God. I've got a two-part series. Um, so if you look at your outline, if you haven't received an outline, you can go and get one. Um, so I'm probably going to finish part two of this next week in the park. So if you're here, don't come here next week on Sunday. Right, go to the park. 10 a.m. We'll be in uh, Pavilion 5. We've got it for the whole day. It's always such a great, amazing time. Pray for good weather. We'll just declare worship. Usually people come by and say, what are you all doing? And we have an opportunity to outreach there. So Humacray Park across from, uh, well, it's, you know where it is, right there on College Road. So praise God. Well, this morning, um, I've labeled or titled this message, I'm Not Ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Let's say that together, nice and loud. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Let that go down. What Paul was saying there to the church at Rome, he, he had longed to go to the church at Rome. And he tells us in chapter 1, the first part of his letter to Rome, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you've seen the movie yet about Peter the Apostle, Paul, was it Paul the Apostle? Paul the Apostle. Peter was killed at the same time Peter was by Nero. But if you look at the, that movie or the, the, what was going on in Rome at that time, Nero was lighting up the sky, actually lighting up the city by dipping Christians in tar, hanging them on a pole and lighting them up. He was feeding whole family groups into the lions for the Rome circus. And so there was this time when Paul goes to them, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now we know later he's brought to Rome and he himself is killed by Nero. So this description today, but I want to bring it from then to relevancy to now. I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, do you believe there is a spirit behind political correctness today? A spirit, and we know that there's a spirit behind everything. Every movie you watch, every book you read, in fact, every relationship, there's a spirit that is behind that. Discerning the spirit is really important. So today, when we look at what's going on in political correctness, the divisiveness, if you ever get on the news, some people are so annoyed, they don't even turn it on. I still watch it and uh, just trying to understand and discern the times. But I believe there is a spirit that is behind political correctness today. Here's another question. Could it be that it's a demonic strategy to shut down the gospel of truth? If there's a spirit that is behind it, and when you look at the divisiveness behind it, we'll look at some of the corrective stuff that's been out there, then there is a demonic strategy to actually shut down the gospel of truth. Because if the gospel of truth, and we're not ashamed of it, is the power of God unto salvation, if God can promote that, then people get saved. What's the scripture? People come to faith by hearing the word of God, right? By hearing the word. So they come to faith by the hearing of the word of God. So if you shut down the hearing of the word of God, there's no conviction. There's no, there's no lifting up the name of the Lord who says, you, I will draw all men to me. So political correctness, the demonic realm, comes to shut down the gospel of truth. And so, and here's another question. When people are accused by, they're walking in faith and they're accused in political correctness, what do you hear all the time? If you don't accept some of the loose liberal stuff that's out there, you're accused of being a bigot. You're accused of being narrow-minded. So that's the strategy. It's to shut down the Word of God. See, when believers speak truth, life happens. Now, people get annoyed at you when you speak truth sometimes. And I want to caveat that. I'm going to try to thread this needle. 
But Paul tells the church at Rome, I want you to boldly proclaim the gospel, for it is the power. It unlocks faith. When I was, now this is going way back. I was born way long time ago. But when I got saved, there was this book that was being written at the time, The Late, Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Some of you old-timers have ever read that one, right? Yeah, right? I mean, I read that mom was telling me, you know, the world's coming to an end. I'm like, man, oh, man, I'm, I'm new. I'm, I've got my wife. But, but I started reading, I started, and I realized, oh, my goodness. That is probably true. And I started to read the Scripture, and you know some of my testimony if you've been here. But it's that place where we get convicted by the gospel of truth. But why the gospel of truth? Finish this Scripture for me. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Clean hands and a pure heart. If you remember a couple of years ago, it was one of our main theme for the year. In Psalm 24, let me read. Let's, if you got it, turn with me to Psalm 24. I have both King James and New Living, but I want to ask you to look at this because this, I believe, is the rationale or the strategy or the plan that the enemy has to shut down truth. Psalm 24, David writes this. He says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He founded it upon the seas and established it. Verse 3, he asks a question. David asks the question, or the Holy Spirit asks David the question, and then David answers it through the Holy Spirit. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? That's King James. New Living Translations. Who can climb the mountain? Who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Then he goes on, who can stand in the holy place? That's a really good question. If there's a mountain of the Lord and we're on a journey and a pathway up it to the heights of God, he then answers it. Those who have clean hands, pure heart, who've not lifted their soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord righteousness from the God of salvation. So go with me for a minute. If there is a mountain of the Lord, this is that place, what does the hands represent and what does the heart represent? The hands are the outward. How clean are your hands? How clean are my hands? How pure is your heart? David answers for himself. I'm on the climbing of the hill to the Lord. I want to get to the holy place with the Lord. But it's only going to happen when there's a continuity of humility between the hands and the heart. The outward and the inward. This week I studied this for hours. My wife was like, man, you've been into this for hours. I said, I know. And I saw some. Do you know how many times the Lord goes after hypocrisy in the scriptures? I was surprised. You look it up. How many times he, he circles this wagon? He absolutely hates hypocrisy and hypocrites. In fact, some of the most ugliest words that he uses against the religious guard is their hypocrisy. In fact, one out of every four verses, we're going to look at it, and it, he does it, I think, seven times in 28 verses. And if you look at the times, he also adds other things like, you whitewash tombs. You do it for show. He just, man, it was very convicting for me that the Lord wants us, as we climb the hill, He wants the inward and the outward person to be in continuity. And He absolutely hates it when we say one thing and do another. So let's proceed. I want you to look at a couple of things. Clean hands, pure heart. The gospel of truth exposes hypocrisy. Jesus wants to expose hypocrisy. He does it actually in our own lives. The, first of all, what is hypocrisy? Let me give you a quick definition. It's the false appearance, pretending, pretending to be virtuous or self-righteous. It's a self-centered deception. Oftentimes, people who are hypocrites say they don't believe. I, I find myself, I could be critical and judgmental about even a sinful pattern or a lifestyle, but over here, and I let myself go in grace, 
but I become critical and judge that. Is sin, sin? We get all self-righteous. We're really good at that in the church. In fact, many of the folks who have left the church who don't want to even be associated with any form of religion anymore are so sick and tired of the self-righteous sitting there pointing their fingers at it. When, when you do that, you ever heard the song, right? You point the finger and how many come back at you? Now, I want to thread this needle because there's one thing about exposing error, sin, and speaking truth without being critical but yet being critical of the sin. What would you say today is some of the top issues that are either politically or religiously correct that cause a whole lot of controversy in the world today? Abortion's number one, I think, close to it. How about, what's another? Homosexuality. Did I hear that? Right? Any others? Think about it this way. Marriage between a man and a woman. But homosexuality, the whole LBGT, if you get on, in fact, this week, it was crazy, or maybe it was last week, late last week, they're in the midst of trying to get approval to put the CIA director in as Secretary of State, Pompeo, right? So before Congress, Cory Booker asked this question. I want to ask you a question, Mr. Pompeo. Is sex between a man and a man a perversion? Now, what does that have to do with the Secretary of State? The guy just snuck into North Korea, is about to probably have the most profound, if this goes forward and they disarm North Korea, it'll be one of the most profound things that have happened in the last 20 years. What has that got? What he's trying to do is get him to cause all sorts of stir because the political correctness is to say, well, I don't want to answer that. I don't, I don't. He, he. Political correctness and religious controls and manipulation by our hypocrisy on both sides of this are a true detriment to the gospel of truth going forward. And so I want to try to thread this needle. How do you do this? How do we love people that are in brokenness, who have got a lifestyle going on that is not holy, and yet still invite them to the presence and let them feel welcome without us compromising our truth. You'll meet them in House of Mercy. You'll meet them on the street. We do street angels, and you're downtown in the bars. You're in the, in the gay bars. There's going to be a place there. They're not going to want to hear your sermon. So how do we thread this needle? How do we become attractive to the, to the world without being conformed to it is really I believe, the trial and the test of our, our life. Remember this one? In Luke, I, I was talking to Juan yesterday, Luke 6.42. Jesus goes on, he talks about hypocrisy. In Luke 6.42, remember the one that says, why do you look at the law, the speck in your brother's eye when you can't even get the log out of your own eye, you hypocrite, right? So that's that place where it says, we, we, we like, man, you know, we think we only have specks. We, we think we don't have any issues in our eyes. But I certainly can see your speck. And Jesus says, you're such a hypocrite. What about your own log? Why don't you get it out of your eyeball so you can make a good value judgment? And so let's look at a couple of scriptures. And, and I know I'm, I'm trying to walk down the boundaries of this thing to challenge us, to challenge me. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8 for a moment. In Mark 8, Jesus makes an interesting statement that I believe is relevant to today. First of all, he speaks of this leaven or the yeast. And he says this. Look at Mark 8, and let's look at verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They only had a loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warns them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they get to start arguing, oh, you know, you can hear John, you forgot the bread. He's like, I am not talking about
talking about bread. And then he gets really frustrated. He says, don't you remember when I fed thousands? Forget the bread. I'm trying to tell you, watch out for the political and religious correctness, the theories, the teachings, the underlining spirit that is behind the political system and the religious system. That's what he's saying. Interesting. You just Beware of Herod and beware of the Pharisees. Now turn with me to Luke 12, and let's look a little deeper. Luke chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 1. Luke 12, 1. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around about stepping on each other. Now, that's a prayer meeting. That's a, that's a, that's, I love it. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. Everything that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have done in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Ouch. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more after that. But I tell you to whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Well, pastor, I've heard there's no hell. These cults that are preaching there's no hell today, that God loves everybody and there's no fire, he didn't put the fire out. This is red letter. What is the price of a sparrow? Two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth the Son of Man will acknowledge in the presence of His angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before my God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, Jesus, will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Hypocrisy, this yeast or leaven of the Pharisees and the Herod, of Herod, the political, beware of the attitudes, the perspectives, and the teachings of both the religious and political hypocrisy. Let's turn to Matthew 23, and we'll continue down this theme. In Matthew 23, this is probably, it's got to be one of the most ugliest. He was, you know, he, he did, Jesus often spoke of truths to convict, but this was aimed right at him. You go down the scriptures like, wow, this is not, if you're trying to uh, influence and make friends, you wonder why they wanted to kill him. Matthew 23, Jesus criticizes the religious leaders. The, then Jesus said to the crowds, verse 1, Matthew 23, 1, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, teachers of the religious law of Moses, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they are unbearable, they make unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide boxes of scripture verses. They wear their robes extra long, tassels. They love to sit at the head of the banquet table in seats of honor. They love to receive respectful greetings. Skip down to verse 12. They exalt themselves, and any whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. What sorrow, verse 13, what sorrow awaits these teachers of the religious law? You Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cross the land of the sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. Whew. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? Blind fools. And he jumps down and he tells in verse 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law. Can you imagine for a moment being one of them and hearing this discussion of how far off you are? It would either convict, make you angry. He was pointing out the truth. He says, what sorrow, verse 23, what sorrow awaits the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, your herbs and your gardens, but then you ignore the most important things of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but why do you neglect the more important things? You blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but then you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites? You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will be clean. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? You whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, filled in the inside with den bends bones, all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look so, and inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Snakes, vipers, how will you escape judgment? I send the prophets and the teachers of the religious law, but you'll kill them, crucify them. You'll flog them in public, chasing them from your cities. As a result, you're going to be held responsible for the murder of all of God, godly people of all time. From the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Bechariah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar, I tell you the truth. This judgment will fall on this very, this very generation. That's pretty strong words. I don't think I've ever preached this scripture before. What I want us to do, going back to the thought of the gospel is the power of salvation. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let me ask you two questions. One, okay, I think these are boundaries. What makes you ashamed of something? Fear and guilt. Yeah, it's like, I, can't, I don't know if I can talk about the gospel because I don't feel like I'm living in the gospel. Maybe I've got an issue in my life. So I, I don't feel worthy to talk about it. I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So how, if I'm doing this stuff, how can I talk about it? And then the other side is, I just don't believe it. That's, that's not true. Jesus, uh, I don't talk about it. I'm, a, I'm ashamed of that stuff, the, de the degradation of all the stuff you hear out there about faith. But I believe the Lord has got us right smack dab in the middle of all that, right? He's saying, I want you to proclaim the gospel because it's the power unto salvation, healing, and deliverance. If you don't speak the gospel of truth, he's the way, the truth, and the life. If we get shut down because of guilt and shame or because of unbelief, we have to deal with both. And so the real challenge, I'm, I'm speaking to Tom right now, is what are the areas of hypocrisy in my life, my thought life, or in your life, actions that would cause us to live like the Pharisees who do one thing or say one thing and live another. Now, I don't want you to get condemned. I mean, all of us, but you ought to be going down with the Holy Spirit in your life. Sin is sin, you told me, right? So look at your outline and turn with me to... 1 Timothy chapter 4. In your outline, 
Under A, I said exposing the spirit behind political correctness. So I think I just read in Matthew 23, you think Jesus was politically correct? You think he had any challenges or issues about speaking the truth? He knew they were going to kill him. He already had. He says, he was prophesying there, you're going to kill the prophets. You've already done this. You killed all the prophets, and, and now you're going to kill me, and you're going to flog me publicly. So Jesus was not politically correct and didn't care about it, and neither should we. We need to be wise as serpents. How about Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? After the man at Gate Beautiful gets healed, how many times did Jesus and the rest of the disciples work, walk by the man who was crippled at Gate Beautiful of the temple? And on that day, Jesus walked by him. But on that day, Peter and John, the guy's asking for money. He says, silver and gold have I none, but have what I have given to thee. And he gets them, they stand up and walk. And now they get in all sorts of troubles. Who told you you could talk boldly about Jesus? They can't deny the miracle, right? And then they say, you think we're going to listen to you? They say, you better stop this preaching the gospel about Jesus. He goes, you think we're going to listen to you? And then they, the prayer, this beautiful in Acts chapter 4. Lord, listen to their accusations and make us even bolder, right? And as soon as they pray that prayer, there's an earthquake. Now, that will get your attention. Wow. So Peter and John, they weren't too concerned about it. How about Stephen? We know what happened to him. They stoned him. They killed him because he declared he saw heaven open and Jesus sitting on the throne. Paul, Silas, and on and on it goes. So this demonic strategy of accusing the truth, those who bring truth in your workplace, in your school, and in your family, there's a reason Jesus said that the worst, one of the worst examples of what will happen is you're going to have enemies in your own family. And then he goes on and says, who's my family? Those who obey the Word of God. By the Spirit, they are one family. I'm closer spirit to spirit than some that are only in, even in my own bloodline. That's why he said, if you love your son, your daughter, your mother, your father more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Now, that'll, that'll mess with you because the father side of you, the mother side of you, the brother side of you, it's like that's a natural side of helping out your blood. Yes, I agree with that. But when it comes down to when they require you then to compromise your truth or to stand or to wink and look at the other way, if you allow sin in your house, then you have just aligned yourself. I believe people come to me, I got family coming and they sleep together. They're not married. So, well, let me tell you what I did. You can get a hotel room. Or you can go in that room and then go in that room. Now, I'm not going to be the pajama police, but I'm telling you right now, it's not allowed in my house. What you do back out there, and you're, that's your place. Well, that sounds like really rigid. It's just the word. Now, it, again, this, this is that place where you have to do it in love because, you know, we can get up there. Yeah, I'm so righteous. No. No. But I have to stand for truth. So let's take a look. Are you there? Are you there? First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy 4. Paul warns his spiritual son about, I believe, these times. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites, there it is again, and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain food that God created. He tells them in verse 6, he says, but Timothy, explain these things to your brothers and sisters. Timothy, you be a worthy servant of Christ. Jesus, the one who nourished by the message of faith and good teaching, you have followed talks about teaching and training. Verse 11, he says, teach these things. Insist that everyone learn them. Insist. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live, in your love of faith and in your purity. 
until I get there. Focus on reading the Scriptures to the church. Encourage them. Don't neglect the spiritual gifts. Verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. See, there's the clean hands and the pure heart. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of all those who hear you. So Paul was telling you, he said, look, we got to live, we got to be right on the inside and right on the outside. And, and we can't be so afraid to proclaim the truth, but make sure you do it with love. Now, look under B of your outline. All are welcome to the church to be loved, but not all doctrines and beliefs will be accepted. Exposing the false teaching. If you go anywhere on this one, you look at Jude, you can spend all of the, that's one chapter. Look at the book of Jude. Jesus is half-brother, right? They had the same mothers, different fathers. Titus, Timothy, Ephesians, Galatians, they warn. Even in Acts, he said, when I leave, Paul says, fierce wolves are going to come into the church at Ephesus and tear it apart. That's inside the church. And so there was this place of tell the truth, but we can welcome, but not everyone that we welcome is going to buy what we say or agree. Now, I have here, one I picked several, I could take marriage between a man and a woman or abortion, we could take a, a number, but I happened to this week, California they say a lot of what California does leads the country. I have three bills from the California legislature here that I believe are so anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church that many of our connections in, in California are saying, please pray for us. And in essence, what it wants to do is this whole LBGT agenda, they want to change the laws both for those in foster care, if a church council, they will forbid a pastor. It'll be illegal for a pastor to be able to share the Scriptures, as I'm reading to you this morning, if it goes against that doctrine. And that any counselor who, let's say that you have a 10 or 12-year-old that says, I want to go through a sex change. It will be illegal for you to talk to them or to counsel them differently from that even if they're under the age of 18. Really scary stuff that, and if you look at the science behind it, it's even scarier. So I don't want to get focused too much on that, but I want us to understand there is an agenda to the political correctness. There was a book done in the, I forget the actual year. It's not, it's been pulled from print. But here's the agenda. It's almost like the Communist, Communist Manifesto, if you look at what their strategy was to undermine the United States. This was the homosexual agenda, and it's listed in this book in three parts. Change the laws of society, change the opinions to normalize the lifestyle, and silence the pulpit and accuse Christians to be bigot and intolerant homophobes. Now, if you're in that lifestyle, let me give you an example. If you're in that lifestyle, sin is sin. If you're here today and you're committing adultery, you're fornicating outside of marriage, you're getting drunk, getting high, you're lying on your taxes, stealing, paying people under the table, you are in sin. And that is not any different than that. So we can sit here and get all high and mighty and judge that, and yet what about the hypocrisy that's going on in here? Thinking we're okay. Blind guides, get the log out of your own eye. I'm preaching to Tom right now. I'm asking the Lord. Now, this is not religious holiness so we can feel good about ourselves. This is the place where we are accepting to those who are broken, inviting them in, but we will not compromise on fornication, on pornography, on greed, on lying and stealing. If you lie on your taxes, you're a thief. But yet we can get all high and mighty and look down on the eyes of someone else and say, well, I'm so glad I'm not like them. That's exactly what you see in the Scripture when Jesus, when he's, I'm so glad I'm not like that one, the Pharisee and the blind guide. 
Or the woman who comes into Jesus with the nard of perfume and cracks it and pours it. And the Pharisee said, if he ever knew what kind of woman was touching him. And Jesus calls him out on it. I know this is a tough message to receive, but holiness is an expectation. Be ye holy as I am holy, is what he said. Now, none of us are perfect, so don't get all like, you know, condemned. If you're in a lifestyle, example, I used to have, there was a, a person who'd been 10 years in a gay lifestyle, got saved, came to the church, was gifted as a musician. I don't know where he is right now. He, years ago, left the church. But we would get into these conversations. I don't have a lot of gay friends. I, I didn't at that time, right? <laughs> and I, but I felt comfortable. I said, can I, can I ask you a question? I've never asked anybody this before. We were in my office. And I said, uh, do you look at me and are attracted to me sometimes? <laughs> and he smiled. He goes, yeah. I go, I got to tell you, that weirds me out right now, buddy. I'm just like, Ugh. he goes, why are you weirded out by that? I said, well, just, nah. he goes, do you ever look at a woman and lust after her? Yipes, is this, how do I answer that one? <laughs> Jesus said, don't commit adultery in the Ten Commandments, but then he raised the standard. If you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So you go to the beach, I tell, my spiritual dad says, Tom, sometimes the first look is inevitable. The second one's called sin. Like, but Papa, did you ever see what they wear there? <laughs> okay, what's the point? If, if you struggle in a particular area of your life, it may be alcohol, it may be drugs, it may be gossip, it may be stealing, it may be lying, it may be porn. It, there's an area of your life that you struggle in. You are not defined by your sin unless you make it a lifestyle. Right? And so his, the message my friend was telling me was, well, if you've got to deal with your issue that you're a one-woman man, you're married to your woman, and you're going to honor your marriage, yes, I am, then you've got to control your desires, your evil desires. This is next week's sermon for the park. The desires and the stuff that are going on on the inside of you don't define you unless you make them your lifestyle. When you've seared your conscience and you've totally jumped into that line, then you're in serious, serious concern. But when we walk in that place, all of us have to control these evil desires. There are two, I believe, two major enemies. The demons and your flesh. And Jesus dealt with both of them. He cast out demons and he said, nail your flesh daily to the cross. If you try to counsel a demon, good luck with that. And if you try to cast out your flesh, good luck with that. Right? So we need to know what enemy we're fighting, and we have it part of us on the inside of who we are. So part of this is recognizing what's hypocrisy, what is not so clean in my heart and in my hands, and let the Lord reconcile that through the blood so that we become one with Him, and we then walk in holiness. I believe the church is being called to that. Then we love, right? The greatest of the, the, the devotional this morning that we read in Jennifer LeClaire is the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, right? There's something about can the church be attractive to even those who are broken and they can feel loved, but we don't condone the lifestyle you're in. Now, if you come here and you want to abuse the relationship, you want to hook up, this is not ChristianMingle.com, Right? So if you, and, and honestly, we've, we've in, disinvited people to come. When they come and they, pr they come and pray on individuals, you're not going to do that here. We'll show you the door. But if you come broken and you want to find freedom, we will do our best to help you get there. So this is that threading that needle of without compromise we love because all of us are broken to some level. And so when we look at it, i got to land this thing. Um, turn with me, if you will to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this will list a whole lot of stuff, but anyone that would think that, that this word is not clear, 
we could try to nullify it, and that's why the folks that believe in choice is not a choice for the baby, and that's why he said children are a gift from God. Those who would say that the Bible's antiquated and homosexuality has nothing to do with today, it was just written by old folks. No, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is good for correcting in 2 Timothy 3.16 to equip the men and women of God unto good works. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, this church was a mess. Corinthian church, they had all sorts of immorality going on. They, they, were, they were in trouble when Paul writes to them and he says, in, let's pick up in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. First before that, it says, don't cheat fellow believers. It really is detrimental when Christians cheat one another. In verse 9, he says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Praise God, we can get free. But you were cleansed and you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's why that song this morning, Jesus, 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 right? How many of us were in that bucket of trouble before and we've now come to the one who's able to cleanse us. We're not perfect. That's why he continues to work on us. So it makes it clear that there is a whole bucket of sin stuff that have, if you, this is your lifestyle, there's time for that to change. But if you go too long, turn with me to Romans 1. This will be the last scripture I'll share today. Romans chapter 1, when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he had longed to be there and tells him in that first part of the chapter, I wanted to come see you long before, I wanted to impart a gift to you, that's in verse uh, 12, 11, 12, 10, it says, I, wanted to, I prayed for this opportunity to bring you a spiritual gift that I want to see the spiritual fruit in your life. I'm eager to come to Rome to preach, verse 15. And then in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of this good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The Jew first, and then also Greeks, therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. New Living says it this way, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But then he gets on and says, anger of God against sin. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because... He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see the invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think of foolish ways, ideas, about what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious everlasting God, they worshiped idols to make them look like mere people or birds or animals or reptiles. This is, the, this is scary scripture, number 24, verse 24. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, 
They did vile and degrading things with each other. And they traded the truth about God for a lie. Here's a scary part. There's a place where in sinful lifestyle, there becomes a point where your conscience becomes seared. You're no longer able to find the truth. Now, where that is is scary. So this is the place where today's the day of salvation. Today's the day. So I want to ask us to pray. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the ministry team to come. Jim, if you'll just put some light music on in the background. The first challenge, let's just close our eyes for a moment. And I know the Holy Spirit's been working. He's This may be conviction, hopefully not condemnation. It says, come. Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. If you're led by the Spirit, you'll find life. So the question for all of us here today is, Lord, is there anything between the outward side of who I am and the inward side of what you're saying by the Spirit that doesn't match? I, wanna, I want me, I want us to come into that place. The only way you are declared righteous and holy is by the blood of Jesus and faith in Him. It says it over and over again in Romans. You've been made the righteousness of Christ by faith in Him. So it's not your works, it's not the performance, it's not being the good boy or girl, it's that place where, but I, once I've come to that place of the kingdom, He promised us that we would have the power to live out a holy life. That's what He promised. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd uncover areas of our lives. If this is family, it's okay to admit that we're not perfect that we've got some messes that need the Holy Spirit to help clean up. So, Lord, I ask that we you remove any hypocrisy and any logs from our eyes where we have been critical and judgmental. That we've not been loving. We just wanted to say truth, and we said it harshly. We said it without the desire for restitution, resolution. We just accused. When the truth is, go back a few years and any one of us were in a big mess probably. I know I was. God, I pray now, Lord, that you would release a holiness in such a way that your people would pursue you this week with such a hunger and desire to seek the truth, to and if there's areas where we're snared or entrapped, we can make that right. We can repent. We can turn. If we owe indebtedness, we can make it right. We can promise to, even the tax collector, when, when he got set free, said, Jesus didn't even say a thing. He said, I'm going to make it four times worthy of what I've stolen. So, Lord, we come before you this morning. And I thank you that your word is alive and we're not ashamed of it. We are not ashamed of your truth. It's all purposed to redeem us and to release glory in our lives, to help us in our relationships and to show us how to break free from all the places of darkness. So Lord, I pray this morning that people would feel free. This is, look, I got this trouble and this issue. Help me, pray for me. Like Bishop had us, when two or three come together, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. James 4 says, if you'll draw close to God, He will draw close to you. If you'll humble yourselves, then you can resist the devil and He'll flee. So Lord, I pray right now that you'd break the power of darkness the demonic realms that have kept people bound, broken. And then, Lord, I pray that you would show us how to walk 
against this flesh. Take up our cross daily and follow you. You're a God of great love and mercy. The word, the prophetic word that Phyllis brought, you're a God of grace. You're a gracious father. Why would you give your son if it wasn't to have a large family with you? So Lord, I pray right now, the altar's open. If Come and let, let the Holy Spirit do business in your heart today. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray you're covering over the word that's been shared that no one would walk out of here depressed or discouraged about failing, but encouraged and exhorted to keep on keeping on. That the Holy Spirit says, I've given you everything you need to live a godly life. Drawing us in. Because when we have clean hands and a pure heart, we have a relationship with God and the righteous blessings will follow us. That ought to be a motivator for all of us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me close. I want to give you a benediction this morning out of Jude. I just, I just love this. Jude writes this about the spirits that have come into the church that are dividing and destroying the church, the false teaching, the false motivation. And he calls the church, he says, remember, friends, in the last times there will be many scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own ungodly desires. And these people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their own natural instincts but they do not have the Spirit of God in them. But you, friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await for the mercy of God, Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, will keep you safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering and rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others but do it with great caution, hating the sin that has contaminated their lives. Now, unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his holy and glorious God in exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget, Wednesday night we'll be here. Um, also, don't forget, next Sunday, 10 o'clock, we'll be at the park. God bless you all. Come for prayer.